You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Understanding the Ladder Rain, Episode 3, with Dan Gabbert. Good morning. We are a day closer to Christ's return. I am so grateful. Got to read this to you before we, before we pray. Um, I'm aging, don't mind. Don't mind me. Um, it wasn't long ago that I could read all my writing. I've got all kinds of statements written in here in small print. And now the day has come. This is from Great Controversy 519. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks, unquote. So I think we better pray. Father, this is such a delight to have these moments in your word, giving you the opportunity to speak to our hearts and do something for us that no human being in the universe can do. So we give you the right this morning through your Holy Spirit to work in us, to will and to do your good pleasure and continue your work of preparing us for eternity. And we thank you now in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this is part five. I'm grateful for promises like this. Very, very grateful. With him, with Christ, there can be no such thing as failure, loss, impossibility, or defeat. Anybody want to say thank you, Lord? We can do all things through him who strengthens us. When temptations and trials come, do not wait to adjust all the difficulties, but look to Jesus, your helper. What part of our anatomy do we look to Jesus? <laughs> Thank you. Certainly, yeah. In our mind. Well, the reason I'm grateful for these type of promises is because of what's looming on the horizon for anyone who's serious about being ready for the, for the kingdom. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. I, I put the, highlighted the blue. Aren't you glad? Daniel 12, 1, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, since there was a nation even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Again, I'm thankful for what's in the blue. Both promises, your people. I want to be one of his people. How about you? Because here's what's happening. This is what's coming up. The time of trouble, such as never was, is soon to open upon us. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crises before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. It's coming. So here's what God allows everyone to experience to actually give us the opportunity through his empowering grace, actually, and I hope you brought your Bibles, to actually face the horrendous trials that are yet to come for God's people. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles. I, I hope you don't mind me asking some questions this morning about this. I hope that you've, you're, uh, um, I don't scare you enough that you're confident enough in me, at least in some way where you're willing to actually look for answers from the text that I share, the questions I ask this morning. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter 4. What does God allow? to actually give us the opportunity through His grace to actually 
cooperate with his Holy Spirit to prepare us for what lies ahead. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Notice what it says. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. What jumps out at you in that verse? Suffering according to what? What? Suffering according to the will of God? Wow. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Why the suffering? James chapter 1. Keep your finger there, though, while you're there, and um, go to Philippians chapter 1 also. I'm so grateful for Ben Franklin's ingenuity. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? For whose sake? Uh-huh, yeah. James chapter 1. Of all the gifts that God can bestow upon men, suffering with Christ is the most weighty trust and highest honor. You remember that one? Um, Brother Eric shared that earlier in one of his presentations. This is amazing. Suffering for Christ. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So when God allows trials... When I suffer according to the will of God, according to that verse, what am I to do? Count it all joy. I haven't arrived, but there it is. Count it all joy. You know there's a purpose for that. We'll be looking at that for sure. Count it all joy. What is the purpose For the diverse temptations, according to these verses, what is the purpose for the diverse temptations that God actually allows me to experience? Look closely at the verse. I want you to find the answer from the verses. Yes, your answer is right, brother. So we'll turn to God. No doubt about it. Nowhere else to turn. But according to the verses, um, what's God doing with the trials. Tell me the words from the verse. And when you find the answer from those verses, um, shout it out loud so everybody else can see what you've discovered. The trying of your faith. And what does trying of my faith work? Produce patience. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know about you, but I have need of patience. How about that? Hebrews 10.36, you have need of patience, brethren, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Patience. According to that, according to these verses, look closely at James chapter 1 again. We want to do some thinking this morning. I'm not going to just stand here and talk to you. According to those verses, what is produced by the trials, the trying of my faith, it's working patience, and what is the patience working for me? I heard it. That you may be what? Wow! Wanting how much? I like the idea of not wanting anything. Have you ever in your entire life experienced a time when you didn't want something. Who can tell me what the definition for perfection, Bible definition for for perfection is? Because it says uh, patience leads to perfection that you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Bible definition for perfection, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, King James. Luke 6, verse 40, who's got it? 
I did. Ho, ho, ho. On the text. On the text. According to James chapter 1, though, I want to keep you on track. On track, because I'm going somewhere with this. James chapter 1. What does patience bring me? The trials that, that bring me patience and per, let patience have her perfect work. What's the perfect work according to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4? The perfect work of patience. That might be what? Perfect. Luke 6, verse 40. Who's got it? Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Go ahead, my sister. The disciple is not above his master. But everyone who is perfect shall be what? Like his master. Who's your master? Let me plug in the definition for perfect. That we just discovered from Luke chapter 6 verse 40 into James chapter 1. Let me read it. Allow me this freedom. Let me plug in the word like Jesus into James chapter 1. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her Christ-like work, that you may be like Jesus, entire, wanting nothing. Don't be afraid of perfection. It's God's plan. But remember, it's about being like Jesus. That's what this is all about. Well, we just read about the many, many times of trouble. The trials that you and I are facing on a daily basis are the many, many times of trouble that God has actually allowing so that you and I have the opportunity to actually, actually develop patience and cooperate with the Spirit of God to make us more like who? Like Jesus. But why trials? How come? Why does God have to use trials? Well, there's a this is how we operate. Luke 16.10 says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least is also unjust in much. He that is faithful in the least of trials is faithful also in what? The greatest of trials. This is how it works. The habits of faithfulness you form now while in the testing of your faith are the habits that you're going to take into the time of trouble to face it. Now, what's so unique about habits, and you all know this as well as I do, um, when the trigger comes, when the stimulus comes to act, what do I respond out of without even thinking? habit. I like the idea of having the habits of Christ, don't you? When the time of trouble hits. If you run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how will you contend? How canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein you trusted, they wearied thee, then how will you do in the swelling of Jordan? We're still living in somewhat a bit of a land of peace here in North America. And it's really something how many people are wearied in a land of peace. Well, listen, if I'm wearied in the land of peace, I can't handle the way people are treating me. I can't handle the way things are going. I can't handle the way the bank just made a mistake on my checking account and I lost $1,000. Well, the results of God allowed trials. Look at this. The results of the trials that God allows, the testing of our faith, actually to give us the opportunity to develop the, the habits of Christ. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 
I think this might be the definition of being entire, wanting nothing, that we just read of in James chapter 1, that you may be like Jesus, entire, wanting how much? Nothing. Look at this, 1 Peter 5.10. It tells us exactly why the sufferings, what the results of the sufferings bring. The, the results that happen. Verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 5. But the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you what? Like Jesus. Establish, strengthen, settle you. Perfect like Jesus, entire wanting how much? Nothing. I like that. Big question. So how do we handle these God-allowed trials, these things that he allows to come my way? By the way, when God allows a trial, he never allows us to be tempted above what we're able. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Certainly never. So here's the question. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I've got some questions about this. But the big question is, how do we handle these God-allowed trials? Hebrews chapter 12. Going there now. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all of the witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. From what? Wearied and faint in your minds from what? Trials. Okay, look at the verses closely. Look at your Bible. Look at, look at the words we just read. Here's the question. What do these verses actually tell us is possible for us to do? Read the words in the verse. What verse? What are you seeing there? What is it possible? I heard something down here. Okay. That's what Jesus did. He sat down after he went through his trials and crucifixion, went to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. Um, and those overcomers, according to Revelation, will be seeing the Father's face also. But look closely. What else? What else is there that is possible for us to do? What verse? And just share the verse so that everybody can... Verse 1, notice what it says. It is possible for you and I to actually lay aside how many weights? And how many sins? Wow. Wow. What else, according to those verses, besides laying aside every weight and laying aside every sin, what else, according to those verses, verses 1 through 3, what else is possible for us to do through the grace of God? Run with patience the race that is set before us. Not only lay aside the weight and the sin, but run with patience why do we need patience? Anybody remember from James? The trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you might be perfect, entire, wanting. Wow. Man, to lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. How does this happen? I mean, to run the race with patience and victory. Wow. Okay, next question. According to these verses, how is it possible to actually run this race with patience? 
What verse? Verse 2. By looking unto Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the only way anybody can lay aside weight and sin, lay it aside and run with patience and weight is if they are looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? What do you say? Okay, another question. According to these verses, why look unto him? What is he? He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that wrote the book on it. Man, this is so good. I don't want to read any other author than the one who can, can actually empower me to lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easy beset and actually empower me to run the race with patience knowing that patience is having a perfect work in my life, a Christ-like work. Wow. This is something. Okay. Next question, according to these verses. How then is it, according to these verses, exactly, practically, how is it that I actually look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? How do I actually do it according to these verses? Practically, how do I do it? I heard it over here. What verse? A little louder. Consider him. Verse 3. I have to consider Him. That's how I look upon Him. That's how I look to Him. I start considering Him. Listen, if I'm going to consider Jesus, what information do I need to go to in order to consider Him? God's Word. God's Word. Amen. Amen. We've got to count it all joy, huh? Well, listen, if I'm not looking to Jesus, if I'm, if I'm not taking time to consider Him, time alone in the Word of God to know Him, to consider Him, nothing replaces it. You know why? Because it's the only way I can lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset me and run with patience the race that actually allows the Spirit of God to transform my life and make me like Jesus. Man, can anybody say amen? amen? I mean, this is really something. Next question. And the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 2. Turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to actually be reading verses 14 through 18. Watch close now, because we're considering Jesus. We're looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we're doing now. I've got questions Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death all their lifetime subject to bondage were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for verily, truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted... He's able to secure or aid, relieve them that are tempted. Okay. We're going to consider him now. Remember, we're looking unto Jesus. Amen. What reasons do we have for looking unto Jesus, for considering him according to these verses? According to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Let's break it down. It's on the screen. It's in your Bibles. According to those two verses, what reason, what reasons do we have for actually looking unto Jesus, for considering Him according to the words in these verses? What do you see there? 
Okay, he's the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But on these verses, looking at these verses now, keep your attention on these verses. This is a training, brothers and sisters. We're so used to giving our own answers and ideas from another verse somewhere else. Instead of focusing, choosing to focus our mind on the thing that God wants us to be looking at at this point. To deliver us from the devil. I'll tell you what, I like the idea of considering Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, because he's the one who can deliver me from the devil. And what else? He was a partaker of flesh and blood, just like you and I are. Another reason why we should be considering Jesus. He can destroy the devil, not only deliver us from the fear of death. By the way, anybody ever feared death? Ho, 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 I have. And deliver us from evil. Are these good reasons for considering Jesus, looking unto Jesus? I think so. Let's move on. I could, we could spend more time here, but let's go on to the next verses. Verses 16 through 18. Anything else there? A reason why, reasons why it's valuable for us to consider Jesus, to look unto Him. What else are in these verses? Look at verses 17 and 18. Focus your attention there. What else is the reason why we should be considering Jesus, looking unto Jesus? He's our high priest. What else? He's making reconciliation for us. What else? He's a merciful, faithful high priest. What else? What's he able to do according to verse 18? He's able to relieve me, to help me in my temptations. What do you say? Amen. Hebrews, turn again, Hebrews 4. We're going to get some more reasons. More reasons for considering Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at this. We're looking at verses 15 now, 15 and 16. Everybody there? Okay, watch close. The question is, what other reasons have we got to actually consider Jesus, to look upon Jesus, consider His life, consider what He's done for us? Verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, give me some more reasons. From the words in those two verses. He can help me in my time of need. Amen? Good reason to consider Him. Amen. What other reasons? What else? He sympathized with us. How far did he go in sympathizing with us, according to these verses? All the way. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Wow! Anything else there? He did it without sin. Wow! Any... Are these good reasons for considering Jesus, looking unto Jesus? And he's approachable. We can come boldly to him. When we're in need, you can come boldly to Jesus. He that cometh to me, I will not cast out. Amen. Yeah. Anything else? That we may obtain mercy and find grace. Now, what do you think? Are these good reasons for actually considering Jesus? Okay, well, if we want to consider Jesus, I want to consider the way he experienced victory. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is big. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. This is Christ's experience, led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. By the way, when God allows a trial... In my life, does he have something good or something bad to accomplish for me? Amen. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Matthew chapter 4. Okay, I'm not going to look at a lot of verses. I just got some questions for you according to two verses. There they are. Everybody ready? Watch close now. 
Think about the words in these verses. Reading now verse 3. And when the tempter, the devil, came to him, came to Jesus, the devil said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Ready for the next question? According to these verses now, according to the words in these two verses. How did Jesus, I'm going to start real easy. How did Jesus respond to the temptation the devil threw at him? It is written. He used the word of God. By the way, who's our example? Praise God. You understand we're looking unto Jesus right now. We're considering him. Amen. The one who's able to actually deliver us from every temptation. To actually empower us to lie aside every weight and every sin which doth so easily beset us. Yeah, he was, he was quoting the word of God. Now next question is this. What was so unique about the Bible text that came out of Jesus' mouth when the devil tempted him? What was so unique about that text? Why didn't he say, uh, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, and whoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did this specific Bible text come out of his mouth? It directly addressed the temptation. I hope you're writing this down. Yes. He was overcoming with the first temp the temptation that caused man to Adam and Eve to fall in the beginning. Amen. Yeah. There's something else here, though, and I'm going to ask the question so you can dig it out. What was being threatened? According to these verses, when the devil tempted Jesus, what was being threatened? His divinity. What was being threatened about Jesus? His identity. How many of you have ever had your identity threatened? Patsy and I, for, for years, we've been working with individuals, and the major problem that people face is the fact that their identity, who they think they are, by the way, we are what we think. <laughs> and Jesus was facing three times every time. If you are really who you say you are. Identity threat. Okay, I got another question. Why did the word of God come out of Christ's mouth at the moment of the temptation. Because it was what? Because it was in his heart. We, uh, what's that? Certainly. But don't miss the point that our dear sister brought out. The reason it came out is because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I was, uh, before I became a Christian, we used to have fun when we'd go to a cafe. And it was always, you know, we always had hamburger and fries and, you know, that sort of thing. But there was always a ketchup bottle, a plastic ketchup bottle on the table um, um, for, to put ketchup on your hamburger. And we'd enjoy that very much because what we would do is we would screw the cap of the ketchup bottle just so it would barely hang on to the top, right? So that the next person that came and sat down and squeezed the bottle, what came out? <laughs> Isn't that a practical spiritual lesson? What's inside when it's under pressure from outside comes out. 
when it's inside, pressure from outside makes it... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth... Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 45. This is a great text because it's got both positive and negative. Luke 6, keep your finger in Matthew 4 because it's got a couple of more questions. Notice what Jesus says here. Luke 6, verse 45. A good man... What kind of man? Of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is? For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What was abundantly in Jesus' heart? Word of God. Amen. Thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Where does all sin start? Listen, Jesus met it in his head. Oh, another question. Matthew chapter 4, in those verses 3 and 4. What was Jesus doing when he responded to the devil's temptation that way. This is a thought question now. When Jesus spoke the word of God, when he spit the word of God out, I mean, just instantly, the temptation came in and out came the word. Why did it come out of his mouth? Because it was in his heart. Where was he dealing with the temptation? Yeah? In his body or in his mind? In his mind. If you want victory over temptation, consider Jesus. The victory over the temptations and the weight you carry doesn't happen by changing your actions without a change of heart. Without changing your thinking and thinking Christ's way about the circumstance. Does that make sense? Okay. Now what was Jesus doing when he responded to Satan that way besides quoting scripture? Uh, Do you remember this? Psalm 60. Verses 11 and 12. Go ahead and look there. Psalm 60, verses 11 and 12. I shared this in one of the previous messages. I, you have had so much stuff shared with you already. I mean, truth is just bubbling all over. It's going to fill your car as you go home. Isaiah, Psalms chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Whoops, 11 and 12. I was in the same, right chapter anyway. Can't you say amen to that? I mean, notice what it says. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Who wants to tread down my enemies? But in order for God to tread down my enemies, according to James 4, 7, what do I need to do? Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When the devil fled Jesus, by the way, go to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus kept responding to the devil's temptations pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the big, three biggies, the ones that, that uh, Adam and Eve dealt with. What was Jesus doing in his mind? That made the devil flee. He was meditating on the word of God. What else was he doing? According to James 4, 7. Go there if you need to. What was he doing? James 4, 7. Look at it closely. What, was, what are we to do? Submit. Submit to God. That's what brings the resistance. How do we know that Jesus was actually submitting to God and letting God fight for him? It was God the Father that made the the devil flee. Are you following? It wasn't Jesus that made the devil flee. Jesus was just submitting his thinking to the Father. Otherwise, he couldn't be our example. Are you following? He's our example of victory. He submitted his thinking to God. That's what gave God the right to actually make the devil flee, fight for him. 
Did the devil flee? Yeah, look at verse 11. Matthew 4, verse 11. Sir did. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. As it was with Jesus, so it is with us. When we submit ourselves to God, submit our thinking to think God's thoughts about the circumstance I face. By the way, when I'm tempted, how quickly do you suppose I should go on the attack here? Yep. Where did Ananias get in trouble? He started playing with the idea that the devil stuck in his head. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I don't think I have this here. Okay, yeah. I don't know if we've got time to go there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's how it fits now. Let's put it together. Now, what was so unique about the text that Jesus quoted? It directly addressed the temptation, right? And why did it come out of his mouth? Because it was... In his mind, that's what he was thinking. The victory was in his thoughts. The word coming out, I think that was an amazing example to us. But now look at, let's put it together, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And I've got questions, so look close. For though we walk in the flesh, everybody there? I don't have this one on the board. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Give me some words out of those verses. The words out of those verses that tell me where the battle is at. What, what word? Imaginations. Where's that at? In the mind. Okay. Any other words? Words that actually tell me the battle's in the mind. Every thought into captivity. Imagination. Now let me ask you a question. Look closely at the verses. Look closely. What exactly, according to those verses, am I doing battle with? What exactly am I doing battle with, according to those verses? Strongholds, right? What kind of strongholds, according to those verses? What kind of strongholds? Look close. What kind of strongholds in our imaginations, in our thoughts? What kind of strongholds? Did you hear it over here? Every high thing that exalts itself against what? Against the knowledge of God. That's what we're doing battle with. That's what the enemy is tempting us with. Every high thing that he's come up with that actually contradicts or argues with or totally deletes the Word of God. That's what the battle is at. Now let me ask you a question. If a person isn't studying the Word of God for themselves personally, to know what Jesus says, what's right, what's wrong, how much defense do I have against the devil? I'm taken captive by him at his will, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. And I don't even know it. It's called the Laodicean condition, by the way. Okay. Question. Don't run away from me. According to those verses, what's the key then to actually dealing with every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And where's that happening? In my... That's right. You got it. You got it. What's the key? What's the secret according to these verses? Our weapons are very, very mighty. What's the only weapon that we can use successfully against the devil? Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the which is the Word of God. Amen. 
But look closely. What is the key to victory from what we've been looking at? Yeah, Jesus is the, is the key. But according to the words in these verses, what's the key for me? How do I cooperate with the Spirit of God? Did you hear it here? What verse? Verse 5. Bringing how many of my thoughts? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Anybody want to say amen? amen? I wish I had more time so we could play with this some more. Is everybody getting it? The victory is in looking unto Jesus, considering him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, and yet for the joy that was set before him, for you and me, actually endured the cross, despised the shame, went through it as a model example for us. Well, closing question. We're almost done. It is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that what becomes transformed? Self. The thing that brings all my worries, brings all my concerns, brings that weight that just weighs me down, it's called S-E-L-F. And brings sin into controlling authority in my life, self. And look at this, it's by learning the habits of Christ. Which habits do you think of Christ do I want to learn first? His habits of action or his habits of thought? Thank you. I'm still learning both of them, but I'll tell you what, the victory is sweet. Closing text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And the question is, what were we just doing by contemplating the life of Christ, considering Jesus, thinking, actually thinking about what we're, we're reading? What were we doing? 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Look at verse 17 and 18. I love this text. This is just sweeter than honey. Mm -mm 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 -mm. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? From every weight and every sin which doth so easily beset us. Our part, verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What does the glory of the Lord represent? His character. By beholding his character, what's happening to us? We're being changed from the old Dan Gabbert to the new Christ-like, Jesus-like. Put your name there. Being changed into the same image. Let me ask you a question. How many extremely powerful end-of-time trials did Jesus go through? All the way through to the cross. The greatest trial of his life. By taking on the life, taking on the mind of Christ. What is he actually equipping me for? The time of trouble such as never was. But what else is he preparing me for? For eternity. To actually enjoy eternity. Rather than saying, man, you mean I got to eat broccoli again today? Wow. You mean I've got to exercise and drink water? Oh, come on. Where's my Pepsi? No, 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 no. Uh-uh. If you're in love with Christ and you've been taking the time daily to behold the Master, what's happening to you? To be more like Him. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. No wonder... These are so important. No wonder. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. No wonder 
There is no other way to experience healing and victory and peace and joy, all the fruits of the Spirit, besides being more effective in ministry for the Lord, helping others to escape the deadly trap of sin. No wonder that time alone with God in His Word, no wonder nothing replaces it, because without it, how much defense do I have? But without it, how much defense did you say I had? I want to I make this the man of my counsel. I want to take time daily. I'm determined to do that. How about you, brothers and sisters? Shall we pray? Oh, by the way, before we pray, I just want to let you know what's happened to you this morning. Every single one of you. Remember the law we just looked at, by beholding we've been, become changed, right? By beholding who? What have we been doing for the last 40 minutes? Beholding Christ. Guess what the Holy Spirit has done to you, has done to your heart? Supernaturally, you're going to walk out of this room a little bit more like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just want to thank you with all of my heart for giving us the gift of your word. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, to work for us and work with us and in us and through us to bring transformation of character to be more like Jesus. Thank you for this powerful and simple way of letting the mind of Christ be our mind. Taking time to behold you and staying in a position where you can transform us, make us more like Jesus and empower us to lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. Because we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we're considering him. Thank you very, very much. Bless my brothers and sisters. Don't leave them alone. Just keep hounding them and tickling their mind in those days when they think they can neglect the word. Lord Jesus, thank you for your model. Thank you for this time we've had together during this camp meeting. Thank you for blessing the listeners, those who are watching by video, DVD, etc., etc. And Lord, thank you for continuing your work in us to willing to do your good pleasure to prepare us for eternity. We love you. Anybody else want to say that? In your name we pray, amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.